Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD Plus. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's cool fact of the day is that your brain is 2% of your body weight, but it holds 25% of your body's cholesterol. Your brain needs cholesterol. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. We have a fantastic interview with Nell Stevenson, a certified nutritionist, Ironman athlete, and author. She follows a paleo diet and uses it with her clients to improve their health, performance, and mental well-being. Nell understands the importance of nutrition, not just for athletes, but for entrepreneurs and business people and everyone else as well. We'll also discuss Nell's new book, Paleoista, and this interview will help show you how to Build a solid nutritional program to fuel your mind and your body for optimum performance. All right. Now we are on with Nell Stevenson. Nell has a degree in exercise science from USC. She co-wrote the Paleo Diet Cookbook with Dr. Cordain, who's really well known in the paleo diet community. And she's about to publish a book called Paleoista, which is also about the paleo diet. Nell is just returning from the Ironman 
triathlon in Hawaii where she just finished with a personal record that was sixth in the world in terms of time. Nell, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about how you first got interested in diet and health and how you came across the paleo diet. I've always been interested in diet and health, uh, nutrition. I grew up with a complete hippie mom, so I was fortunate to have had an introduction to eating healthfully at a very young age. Um, although what we thought was healthy then, I now know isn't that healthy, including things like whole grains and beans and dairy products and that sort of thing. But it was healthy in terms of there was no junk food, there was no processed, refined, sugary foods or anything like that in the household. So to me, eating healthfully was sort of just a normal thing to do. And I ate that way my whole life. I also, I had some issues with my stomach kind of on and off growing up, but it sort of was just a, never to the degree where it was that troublesome. It was more sort of just annoying. And I sort of concluded that I just had a sensitive stomach or a weak stomach. And it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s that I reached what I consider my gluten tipping point, um, where I actually contracted a, a parasite in a race, which was Giardia. And after that, um, after treatment, I still felt really, really sick every single day for months. And I went to several specialists. None of them asked what I was eating. They all sort of brushed it off and said it was definitely not the cause of stomach distress, maybe sort of a, a small factor, but not the main culprit. Um, and just beyond frustration, I started searching online to see if I could figure out anything that might be causing all this horrible distress I was having. And I, that's where I learned that people can have a latent allergy to gluten, which can be triggered by stress or trauma or infection, which would include a parasite infection. And I did a little bit of research just reading up on it myself. And I thought, I have nothing to lose. I feel horrible. Why don't I just try cutting gluten? And I did. And I felt better within about three days. Um, so I followed the, you know, gluten-free thing for about a year. So that meant I was still eating probably more healthfully than the typical American diet would um, instruct. However, I was still doing the gluten-free version of many things like gluten-free bread and gluten-free chips and gluten-free cookies and all that kind of thing. So I still, I felt better with regard to my, my GI, but I still didn't feel fantastic and my racing was sort of pretty average and my training was average and, you know, I was sort of healthy but not as, not really at the, uh, the height I wanted to reach. So about a year or so later, I, I just continued to investigate and I stumbled across the paleo diet and it talked about how humans were not meant to be eating any grains, any legumes or any dairy. And it just made sense to me. So that's how I stumbled across it in the first place and I just, I started it and I felt just amazing. And there was a, a very brief transitional period, maybe a week or two, um, during which I was kind of feeling a little sluggish and wondering if this was going to work. But gosh, I'm so glad I saw it through because after that period of time, and that was over six years ago, there's no going back. It's just nothing else compares to it. It's interesting that you mentioned that uh, stress can cause those latent allergies because I see that even in entrepreneurs and people who are, you know, maybe weekend warrior athletes, but certainly not nearly as advanced as you are, but they, they still, they get enough stress or they get sick and then they just don't get well. And they've triggered that latent allergy that you discovered as well. Exactly. It doesn't really matter what the source of any extraneous stress is on the body, whether it's like you're saying an executive who, who's working a hundred hours a week or an athlete or, or just somebody that tends to be more of a stressed out person. You, whatever you're doing that's creating that um, stressed feeling on the body is suppressing the immune system. And 
whatever your immune system might have been able to ward off when it's in a stronger state is, as I said, suppressed. So it's easier for you to be affected by things like that. And the bottom line is gluten is not good for anybody. There's no redeeming properties about it. Nobody needs to be eating it, regardless of even people that don't believe in the paleo diet, at the, at the very least, if they were to cut out gluten, they, they'd be doing themselves a huge favor. I, uh, I totally appreciate that. Well, let's let's turn this this discussion about the paleo diet more towards performance, um, both for athletes or just for people in general who want to perform better. Um, what what effect does this have on performance, and do you know how that works? Like, what what's the chemistry or what's the the mechanism behind it? Well, in a very simple way to look at it is if you're not putting junk in in a, in your body, you're gonna you're not going to perform in a, a poor fashion. It's I, I use an analogy with um, if you have a high performing sports car and, and you put 87 octane in it, it's not going to perform as well as if you put higher octane in it, which is it's a very simplistic analogy, but it, you get the point. Um, unfortunately, so many of the products that are marketed marketed towards as athletes are very high in grains and refined grains. Very high, and uh, they tend to have whey or different types of dairy products, and they, they usually have a lot of peanuts and, and um, that sort of legume and soy, all of which are not good for the body, and they're not clean-burning fuels. They tend to be very refined, very processed, and have very negative consequences. So um, you, as a result, you go into a race or you go into a training session, and you're not properly fueled. Your body's working overtime to, to attempt to digest things that, in my opinion, aren't really food. And you're just setting up the stage for a very poor performance. And then you have athletes who are performing on a very high level who are eating these things. And they argue, well, it works for me. And yes, it does. But I have to say, sort of throw the argument back and say, well, if you're doing X and you're eating this junk, can you imagine how much better you would be doing if you were eating real food? Um, perfect example of that is when, you know, Michael Phelps won all his gold medals. And that infamous interview he gave a while later when he talked about what his typical foods were. And um, set aside the fact in, that he eat, he eats, you know, thousands of calories a day, which that doesn't really, to me, make a, a big impact because he's a large guy and he's training hours a day, so he's going to need thousands of calories a day. But that seemed to be the more profound message that people got was the fact that he eats 10,000 calories a day or whatever the number was rather than what the calories were that he was coming from. And I think he was – I forget which sugary breakfast cereals he listed, but I think it was maybe Fruit Loops or Cocoa Puffs or something like that. But – it was just such an unfortunate situation because he had this platform where he's got millions of people listening to him. And now, you know, the takeaway for little kids who are dreaming to be an Olympic athlete at some point are going to hear that and think, okay, well, then if he eats that, then that's what I need to eat for breakfast, <laughs> just taking it out of context. Um, so I just think the bottom line is if you eat stuff that's not really food and it's all refined and processed and you're really just – you're toxifying the body, your body's just not going to work as well as it would if you were giving it pure Fuel, uh, fuel. What do you think are some of the biggest nutrition mistakes you see endurance athletes or any athletes making? And how could maybe somebody like an executive or just somebody who's working throughout the day take advantage of those same lessons and incorporate those into their lives? I think the biggest mistake or the biggest, one of the biggest issues that I hear about is athletes having the attitude of, well, I do Ironman so I can eat whatever I want, or I do X so I can eat whatever I want as though the fact that they're expending X number of calories per day sets the stage for them to, you know, basically use the analogy. Again, they're, they're just filling their body as though it were a rubbish bin. Go out for a, a two- or three-hour run, and then as a reward, or I'm not sure how they're viewing it, but they think that's a good idea to go have a pancake 
breakfast or a burger and fries with, you know, extra cheese on a, a white bread bun and all that kind of thing. So the idea of, which to me is just backwards because I think if your body's just provided you with the gift of the ability to go out for a three hour run, I don't know why you want to sabotage yourself by, by ingesting those types of foods. I think that's the first and foremost, one of the biggest issues is, is people having the wrong idea of what the point of food is. It's not supposed to be, you know, it's not supposed to be a situation that you go out and do a run just because then you can go ahead and eat a bunch of junk afterwards. So I think that's one of the, the main issues. Um, and the other thing is it's just, it's not necessarily the, the fault of the athlete because all these products are presented to us as things that we need and we want to believe things that we see on TV and announcements that we see in the media and the newspaper, we want to think that, oh, this is a great product. I need to have this bar and this gel and this block and this mix and this and that and all these different things. And you end up with all these different combinations of different types of sugars, some of which are natural, some of which are not, artificial dyes, artificial colors, artificial flavors, and, and you just, you're putting all this stuff into your body and then you're acting at, um, you're taxing it with all the the um, stress of the exercise and the training and you're just expecting it to perform, but it's not. It's just, uh, it's a really mixed message out there and it's really difficult and it's become very confusing to believe, to know what to believe and what not to believe. So I think if people just clear away the clutter and approach it in a really basic term and think about eating real food, as in eating fruits and vegetables and proteins and fats when um, during the course of the day-to-day work week or the, or the course of life, and then when you're getting ready to prepare for workouts or recover from workouts, you're still eating real food, but you just keep it simple. So instead of having a lot of vegetables and fat right before you go do a track workout, for example, you might have something like a high glycemic type of food, like a really ripe banana, maybe with a soft-boiled egg or something along those lines. Another Another idea is natural applesauce with some lean turkey or something like that, just mostly carbohydrate, easily digestible with a little bit of easily digestible protein is really a good thing to have before a workout. And granted, if it's a really tough workout, like that track workout I just mentioned, if you're doing it first thing in the morning, you might not need to eat anything beforehand. Um, but you want, and that's, that kind of gets into more specifics as far as what specific training somebody's doing. But the idea is if you can focus on eating real food, and focus on not eating refined processed food, that's that's the the, uh, the, the first step. So now I, I have a question for you. You said lean turkey breast, but like turkeys actually aren't that lean because they have skin with fat on it and all that. And, I mean, is there a reason to be lower fat when you're exercising? Because most paleo diets are not particularly low fat. Yeah, and I, don't get me wrong. I do not recommend that people eat low fat diet or anything like that by a long shot. I'm just talking about specifically if you're about to go do a workout, if you wanted to have that ratio of four to one in favor of carbohydrate to protein, that's just one example of a time when you wouldn't want to go for a fat type of protein because the fat's going to slow the digestion. Right. So, so that that's why that specific example for just before a workout. But generally speaking, you're right. I recommend um, definitely including the whole parts of an animal. For example, if you're going to have um, you know a roast chicken breast, for example, not only is it more cost effective to buy it skin on bone in. The meat's more flavorful, and it's it's good to eat fat. And just on that specific point, I know we, we talked about this before, but um, sometimes people will say, well, I don't want to eat chicken skin because it's a very high source of heterocyclic amine, which it is. So, again, just like with anything, you don't want to eat – I'm not saying you should eat chicken skin every day, every meal. But if you have it once in a while, it's a good part of the diet, and you can cut down on the HCAs by actually um, rubbing flaxseed oil or vitamin E oil on the skin. So that helps to counter the HCA content. I think that's uh, that's really good advice. Uh, in fact, we're in the middle of 
of formulating a product that will come out that you can rub on any kind of meat while you cook it in order to reduce the formation of that type of toxins because uh, that's a bigger issue for paleo people than for other people. And uh, a lot of the people who follow this podcast are either eating paleo or they're eating the lower toxin version of paleo called the Bulletproof Diet um, that we've got posted on the site. Oh, cool. So now let's say that, that you're an athlete and you believe you're, you're, you're performing really well on Pop-Tarts and other junk foods. And I mean, are there other reasons that you might want to consider eating paleo? And this also goes for people who aren't necessarily full-time athletes, but just why should people go paleo that doesn't have to do with performance? Oh, there's so many reasons why people should go paleo. For one thing, for athletes, not, not even necessarily specifically for athletes, but one of the nice features about the paleo diet is that it's a very alkaline diet. And the body wants to be alkaline or basic. It doesn't want to be acidic. So as a result of exercise that we endurance athletes conduct ourselves, um, it does get a bit acidic. But the body can also get acidic from other things that people have in their – people that are not paleo would find their body becoming acidic from things like heavy smoking, heavy drinking – um, dairy consumption actually is a, a very acidic rendering thing to do. Eating refined grains is very acidic and so on. So if you're eating a large um, portion of fresh vegetables and fresh fruit and um, following the paleo diet, the body becomes a, lo- a lot more basic, which is how it wants to be. And when the body is basic, it's far less likely to be inflamed. And that um, that's if the body is inflamed, it sets the stage for a host of sort of, I call it system failure. When you have an inflamed body and a leaky gut, um, it sets the stage for, I mean, really every system in the body is at risk for not functioning properly. And, you know, after X number of years or a certain amount of time, and it's different for everybody, just failing. So for one, um, that's definitely one really important thing is getting the pH back to where it wants to be more on a uh, more basic pH. And the, I mean, the, the, the reasons to go paleo are just, I could talk about them for hours. Did you have a, is that kind of where you were going with that question? Yeah, I mean the the idea is is that there are a lot of people who are saying, well, I, I'm doing okay now. I don't really need to to do this for my health. And so I, I think you answered the question. Like it, it helps to alkalize the body, and people generally will be healthier across the board. Their immune function should be better as well. Um, have you seen specific effects both with athletes or any other people in your practice around just immune function, getting sick less, things like that? Oh, absolutely. Not just with myself and my husband, but with clients. I've got clients all over the world with all different sorts of reasons for having gone paleo. Um, but to your point before, what you just said about people saying, oh, I feel okay. I don't really need to do something as, quote, radical as the paleo diet. And I will say that most of the clients that I've had, they don't just do paleo because they just decide on a whim that they want to try it. I have found that most people wait until there's something wrong. In other words, they've tried everything else which, by the way, is kind of a backwards approach, in my opinion. Um, something might be wrong, and they go to the doctor, and they get a prescription, and then something's, something else is wrong because they've got now side effects from whatever pill they were taking, rather than looking at what they're eating as the first step. So I think, I, I mean, it makes sense if you're kind of, I, I, was, I was the same myself, just sort of ambling along, feeling okay, but not great, just sort of accepting and, and almost settling. Oh, yeah, I just have a weak stomach. And it wasn't until things got really, really bad that I thought, I need to make a change. So I think um, that, de- that definitely tends to be more of a common scenario is people feeling like they're desperate and then they go ahead and try it. But, yeah, I've seen um, – I've got one client. She's in Seattle, and before she found paleo, she had – I think she suffered from migraines for, I want to say, 25 or 30 years. And she also has been diagnosed with MS, and that was about 15 years ago. 
and she's been paleo for about five. Interesting to note in her particular case that when she was first diagnosed with MS, she did a lot of research herself and came across a diet um, that I don't know what the name of it was, but it was telling her, it, it basically talked about um, vegetarian diets for people with autoimmune disease. So she tried it because she had just been diagnosed and she wanted to do anything she could to keep it from progressing at um, however fast of a rate it might have progressed otherwise. Um, so she had the MRIs to, as the diagnostic tool when she was first diagnosed. And after five years of being vegetarian, the sclerotic plaques in her brain had multiplied exponentially, um, at which point she thought, okay, I've got to make another change. She switched to paleo, and um, she's been paleo now, I want to say, maybe maybe over five years. And um, she has been back to her neurologist, and the, the number of sclerotic plaques have not changed um, in the whole time that she's been paleo. So it's really interesting, and um, just the fact that she got so much worse when she was following the vegetarian diet, and she stayed the same, and is, if, if not, is um, much better after being paleo. So that's just one example of many of how it supports health. It, it sort of makes me sad when I, I see people with a chronic disease try and try and cure it with the vegetarian thing. Even uh, even Steve Jobs, when he first got um, his pancreatic cancer, um, his first thing to do was to go on the Dean Ornish diet, which is that extreme low fat, extreme high carb thing. And he did that for about eight months, but the whole time he was a pescatarian or mostly vegetarian. And I, you know, I, I just think it's really sad when we lose people, both, you know, famous people like Steve Jobs, but just all over the country, people who are really trying to, to help their health going on these really bizarre, you know, high carb, low fat, low protein, high processed food, soy containing diets and expecting to get better when it seems like all the science out there, the, the things that you've seen, the things I've seen, it just doesn't support that. So I'm, I'm really glad that you just were able to share the story of the person with MS. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's, it's really, really sad. And I, I say that, I mean, from a personal point of view, um, and I get, I get being vegetarian. I was actually vegan myself. For two years, if you can believe it, um, about a decade ago, and I um, I was vegan for ethical reasons. So it was it was definitely a transition for me to go from being vegan to where I am now. And as you, as I've already explained, it didn't happen overnight. But um, the way that I rationalized it was it was kind of a, a realization that I do believe that we humans are at the top of the food chain, and I do believe that we need to be eating animal protein for our health. However, I'm I am definitely an animal lover. I'm not a fan of you know, saving a penny in order from buying um, factory farmed meat or hens that are coming from battery cages or anything like that. I do think it's worth every penny to spend more and making sure that the animals are coming from an ethical, humane source, um, wild meats and wild fish and uh, free range poultry and all that kind of thing. And yes, they're more expensive, but I think for the interest of the animals and the planet, I think it's really, really important to focus on that. And that, to me, is how I found the balance with eating the way that I eat now compared to how I ate about a decade ago. Good for you. Good for you, Nell. Um, I, I was also a vegetarian for about a year a while back. And uh, same thing. I, I have a whole blog post about uh, sort of the ethical decisions to eat paleo and how it's better for the topsoil. And I honestly believe that by eating paleo, people can do more for the planet than they can by eating processed foods. Uh, Absolutely. So. Absolutely. I was wondering, Nell... You were talking about how a lot of these products, like these processed bars and protein mixes and all these, what I would, I think you and I would call junk foods, are uh, forced upon athletes by a lot of these companies and a lot of the magazines that 
say they need to eat high-carb, low-fat diets, that they need to eat lots of whole grains and bread and all this junk. And magazines like Triathlete and Runner's World, I think, are some of the worst about this. They always are saying, you know, fuel up with pancakes before a long run. Agreed. And do you ever see problems with that? Or what? what's your take on that? Do you, think, do you ever get frustrated with the nutrition advice coming from Runner's World and triathlete and do you think there might be a slight bias there against something like the paleo diet oh absolutely i get I, it's funny because i continue to subscribe to those publications and every time i renew i'm kind of at a kind of a little battle with myself like why am i buying this stuff but it's just kind of to keep up to date on what they're telling what they're teaching and it's it does it drives me nuts because they're always grain heavy dairy heavy you know make sure you drink your milk for healthy bones and Here's a great recovery um, idea, and it's got you know milk and grains and this and that, and make sure you eat your oatmeal and your bagels, just like you said. It's it's really frustrating. I think, uh, and the thing that's also equally as frustrating is, I've read several accounts of athletes having tried paleo, and some of them say that they've tried it and it just didn't work, or it worked but it didn't work for when they went long course. Um, but and I, I can't speak for all of them because I haven't spoken with all of them, obviously. But I've spoken with a handful of athletes who have written about the fact that they didn't feel paleo worked for them. And upon further investigation or questioning, what they were doing wasn't paleo. One woman that I spoke with who races professionally had been counseled by um, a, a nutritionist in her area who said that he thought she would be suited for the paleo diet. So he gave her what he thought was the paleo diet, which was very restricted in calories and um, and included grains. So I don't exactly know how he thought that was paleo, but not surprisingly, she she had a horrible season and she had no energy and she wasn't recovering properly. She kept getting ill. But of course, if you're you know if you're racing half Ironman and you're not eating properly, not eating enough calories, and you're eating grains, that's not going to work. But by the way, that's not paleo. So I feel. I just I hope there's a, a growing community that are, of athletes that are paleo. I, I I seem to think that I've been being uh, contacted more through my blog and newsletter by people that are kind of spouting up here and there saying that oh I'm paleo I'm, and I'm paleo here and I'm paleo there. So I hope it's a growing trend uh, and I'm certainly always doing whatever I can to promote it. <laughs> I get comments from from readers on the blog who who have aren't necessarily athletes but. They have this whole, oh, well, I, I'm, I'm really tired. My brain doesn't work very well. And you know, I, I go to work and I'm, for breakfast, they're having, you know, 100 calories. And then for lunch, they're, they're munching on some carrots and celeries and completely malnourished all throughout the day. Not enough calories, not enough food, no fat and low protein. Yet they're completely convinced they're being healthy. Right. It, it, it's bizarre. It, like, like, do people not recognize hunger and do they not know you should eat when you're hungry? I mean, what's your take on the feelings of hunger? What should people do about that? I completely think that's ridiculous too. I mean, it reminds me, it, it's such an antiquated way of looking at diet. And, you know, I, I mentioned that I had always been interested in fitness and nutrition. So I remember when I was in high school in the early nineties that when the whole low fat thing just kind of boomed and, you know, we had things like the Entenmann's fat free cake, oh. snack rolls, cookies. And, you know, that, that kind of thing. And, you know, the, the rule of thumb was don't eat anything that has more than two grams of, of fat per serving. And, you know, I was only 16 at the time and I, I hadn't really educated myself or taken many classes. So I was believing what I was reading at the time. Um, the unfortunate thing is so many people took that to the hills and thought that low fat or fat free meant eat as much as you want, which I have to say is a trend that I think is kind of going along um, today with the gluten free thing. I think people are kind of adapting that and thinking, oh, gluten free, I can eat as much as I want, which is not the case. 
but yeah, the idea of if people just really took a took a, an objective view and looked at it and thought, okay, when people eat low fat and diet and, and diet foods like you know diet cookies or diet potato chips or whatever the the other junk might be out there, when when they eat these things and when they don't eat enough calories. Over time, they get more overweight and more fat and, and less healthy and have less energy. It, it seems like it should kind of, people should be seeing this and, and kind of getting it. But, it, but unfortunately, that's not the case. It's almost as though people are banging their head against the wall and saying, ouch, and then banging their head against the wall again. And <laughs> it's like, it, something's got to change. It's, and I think people are just so, they've been so conditioned to think low fat, low fat, low fat, that the idea of eating fat is frightening to people. I don't want to eat fat because then I'll get fat. But actually, eating fat in and of itself is not going to make somebody fat. Yes, eating tons of fat and not moving and eating tons of too many calories will help somebody become overweight. But adding fat to a healthy meal from a healthy source like avocado or olive oil or coconut oil or something or some animal fat it's, that's not going to make somebody fat. I mean, people, the people that are obese have not gotten there because they had too much avocado. <laughs> I, and I actually wanted to make sure that our readers heard a very important sentence that you said in there. It sounded to me like you were saying that if you don't eat enough, it can contribute to obesity. Did you say that? Absolutely. If you don't eat yes. enough, if you start the day, uh, this is a little factoid that I thought was kind of interesting, and I always sort of uh, share this with clients who tell me that they don't eat breakfast. An important part of the diet of a sumo wrestler, so I'm told, is to skip breakfast because that will make the person so hungry, like sort of mid to late morning, that they're ravenous and they're more inclined to eat far too much and from the wrong sources. So if somebody has the goal of looking like a sumo wrestler, they should, in fact, skip breakfast and not eat in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> just a little a little tidbit and it's kind of a joke but it's it's to the point i mean you're supposed to eat and you're not supposed to starve and you're supposed to eat in balance and there is a school of thought i will say of people who are um really keen on the paleo um diet that say hunter gatherers probably didn't eat several times a day they probably ate once a day or twice a day and there's that school of thought um that strongly believes in intermittent fasting and I'm not here to say that they're wrong. It's just a different approach from mine. And mine is um, I strongly believe in eating balanced meals frequently throughout the day. I think of food as an IV. Uh, if, sorry, I think of it as a drug because once it in the it's in the body, it is a drug. So if you think about somebody in the hospital who is very ill and they're receiving morphine, they're receiving a morphine drip. Why? Because they want a steady surge of the drug because say they're on their deathbed or something, some you know sad situation like that. But the idea is, think about the IV drip. And then if you think about food, you want that chemical, because food is a chemical or, or a drug once it gets in your body, really. You want that slow, steady influx of calories throughout the day. And that's that might be wake up in the morning and have some leftover broccoli steak with a little olive oil. Um, and then maybe a couple hours later, it's spinach and some wild salmon, a little bit of berries, and some avocado. And then maybe a few hours later, it's wild greens, a little bit of chicken, Maybe some coconut oil. Maybe you cook the chicken in coconut oil, and that, so you have you have that trend. Um, it's a very simple way of looking at it. You start each meal with vegetables, add some protein, then add some fat, and maybe add a little bit of fruit, and that's how you make a meal. I, I think that's good advice. Um, it, it's interesting about sumo wrestlers too that their diet is extremely high carb, just like say gluten free cereal is extremely high carb. Right. I will say from an intermittent fasting perspective that 
um, for instance, one of the one of the guys that I'm coaching just lost 75 pounds in 75 days, and we did use some intermittent fasting as part of that. But even then, we modified it by adding some fat during the fast to keep the hunger feelings from getting so bad and causing the cravings and causing the the weirdness. And it appears to me that using that bulletproof fasting technique that that we developed that people can get the benefits of intermittent fasting without having the downside. You know, they get the, the autophagy and the improvements in muscle and the leanness that come from it, but without maybe damaging their body the way that you could with you know a normal fast for someone who's not very healthy. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I like the inclusion of fat. Um, as I'm sure you know, when you eat fat and protein, it stimulates the body to release glucagon, which is the antagonistic hormone to insulin. So when you're releasing glucagon, you're telling the body it can burn the fat and hold on to the carbohydrate for the next time you need it in sort of a, a quick fight or flight response versus when you start the day with a high um, carbohydrate meal and not much protein and not much fat, you start the stage for insulin responses, which is a series of peaks and valleys throughout the day and blood sugar crashes and not having energy. And also, by the way, telling the body, I don't know what's going on, we better hold on to this fat. So again, another example of what you should do if you'd like to remain overweight or over fat is keep starting the day with a nice carby breakfast and not fat and protein and then you'll be able to hang on to those extra pounds (laughs) (laughs) i I love it so what supplements do you take i mean do you take any of them i take a fish oil supplement i like a company called nordic naturals and i'm not endorsed by them i just feel their product is is of a very high quality i learned about them through my naturopath actually they are third-party tested molecularly distilled and from what i'm told they're the lowest containing um they, they contain the lowest levels of mercury of any other fish oil on the market. Um, so I take fish oil. And I do take a multivitamin. And that's only because if you read the Paleo Diet for Athletes, they talk about how what the conditions that we're living in today are not the same conditions that cavemen lived in as far as the toxicity in the air as a result of the ozone depletion and so on and so forth. So I do take um, a multivitamin sort of I, – I view it kind of as an insurance policy just to fill in any teeny little holes that might be in the diet and, and also because I like the antioxidant content. Not that I, I don't feel that – I don't think I actually need the vitamin that I take um, because I do have such a huge variety of fresh vegetables and fruit. Um, but I take it, like I said, just for a little bit of an insurance policy. And because I am training the way that I train, um, I don't feel it does any harm. But I will say to any listeners out there, just if you're taking a vitamin right now, make sure you read it because I, I took a vitamin um, for years after, even after going paleo. And I didn't, I didn't realize until probably two years later that it actually had soy in it um, just as a filler and, or uh, rice powder. So just make sure you check your vitamins because that can often be a, a, a hidden source of uh, non-paleo foods. <laughs> it, it's amazing what you'll find in a typical multivitamin. It's really common to have yeast, um, yeast extracts, and to have even some things like a sodium selenite, which, oh, selenium. Unfortunately, that's a, a toxic form of selenium. Right. So I, I, I'm very careful on the blog when I talk about vitamins to say this is the brand, and um, almost all of them, uh, I don't have a relationship there. I'm just like, this is what I take because I've done the research and because I know the guy who formulated it through my anti-aging nonprofit work. Right. Uh, but from a personal perspective, performance perspective, the difference between a crappy expensive vitamin and a high quality expensive vitamin, it matters. Like it's an immune function, it's athletic performance, it's cognitive performance. And a lot of people just sort of take their one a day from the drugstore and they think they're getting it and they're not. 
Yeah, it's um, it always comes back to cost, doesn't it? And on the opposite side of the spectrum too, from the manufacturer, it comes down to cost. I mean, why do you think um, they use all these fillers? It's because you can take, if you have just for a very simple example, um, I use the example of the food that I give our dogs, and they're paleo too, by the way. If if I were to buy a pound of grass-fed chuck steak for the dogs, it will cost X. And it will give them enough food for one meal versus if I buy them a bag of kibble, it'll cost maybe, I don't know, $17 or something for a bag of kibble that'll last them for a week, just as an example, versus if I buy them fresh meat and the enzymes that they need to digest and some vegetables, it's going to be a lot more pricey. But I don't want to give my dogs junk. I want them to eat real food and I want them to be healthy. In fact, they're 12 years old and they're often mistaken for being about seven because they are so healthy and they eat a paleo diet and they're athletes. So it it just comes down to getting a, a pure product, and you're still getting the same amount of product if if you compare the pure product to the one with fillers. It's just the filler one has all these other bad additives in it, and you're you're toxifying your body with them. The next question I'd like to ask is kind of a combination. We've talked some about macronutrients, and a lot of people, when I tell them that they should try a paleo diet or that a paleo diet could be beneficial for their performance, whether it's in the office or out on the road – they always they often say something along the lines of, well, I just don't want to eat that much protein or I don't want to eat that much fat or I can't do low carb. And I try to convince them that, you know, a paleo diet doesn't necessarily have to be low carb. And especially that's I find that's true for endurance athletes who do need a lot of carbs compared to the average person. And so does a paleo diet have to be low carb? And in what ways do you adapt a paleo diet for endurance training. So do you make any race day compromises like gels or any of these other products during the race itself? Yes. Well, first of all, to clarify, I'm glad that you call paleo a low-carb diet. I know you know that it's not a no-carb diet, but a lot of people think, oh, they think paleo is the same as Atkins. And and they'll say things to me like, how do you do Ironman when you don't eat any carbs? And I always say, I eat carbs all day long. What do you think kale is? What do you think bananas are? What do you think apples are? And they'll say, oh, I didn't know those were carbs. I thought they were just kale. So, you know, it's like, well, if it's a food, it has to be one of the three macronutrients. So I think it's just important to note that it's not necessary. It's certainly not a no-carb diet. and It's not even a low-carb diet. It's just lower than what the American Dietetic Association recommends. And, yes, you're right. Endurance athletes need to add starch. If you're not an endurance athlete or you're not training for a big event, you don't need to have starch in your diet. The idea of having starch at every meal is also antiquated and ridiculous. Um, I don't have starch at my meals if I'm not getting ready for a workout. And you don't need work, uh, starch at your meal if you're going to be sitting and doing work on your computer. Um, to get ready for a long workout or a race, I will add yam or sweet potato in small portions to my meal, to my otherwise completely paleo meals. Um, and yam and sweet potato are paleo. Um, it's just to specify, to clarify what I said before, specifically for, in, for athletes. So I'll add a little bit of yam or sweet potato to my meals for a couple of days to get ready for a race. And yes, um, to answer your question about during the race, that is when I currently use the one paleo food in my diet, uh, non-paleo food in my diet, is I use a carbohydrate gel when I'm racing and training. And that's only because I'm out there for such a long time. So much blood is diverted from the GI tract to the working skeletal muscles that it makes it really difficult to digest solid foods. So that's why I opt for the carbohydrate gel because if I'm out there for, you know, nine or ten hours or something like that, I need fuel because I'm working at a really high level. And 
it's a non-paleo food only because I I'm not aware of a paleo gel that's on the market. Um, that's one of the projects I plan on working on next year, though. I'm talking with a food scientist to see if we can organize the production of a, a paleo sourced gel, whether it's from yam or beet or something like that. But that that's one. Um, that's how I approach the training. So what should people who are not athletes do if they want to perform better? So now I've got a nine or 10 hour meeting. I mean, at, at hour five, can I have a carbohydrate gel? That's a great question. If, again, if you're not, if you're not put, putting um, extreme amounts of stress on your body in the form of long bouts of exercise, you want to keep that example that I used before about keeping um, the blood sugar level because if your blood sugar is even um, throughout the day, you're going to be able to focus a lot more clearly and, put, and concentrate on what you're doing and, and work more productively. So that's when the, the small meals balanced in roughly the, the paleo macronutrient ratio is about 40, 30, 30 in favor of carbohydrate. And if you do that and you have some vegetables and some nice fat and some um, protein and maybe maybe some low glycemic fruit like berries, if you have those in small portions throughout the day, it might be every two hours, it might be every three hours, that's going to keep your energy level even. You're not going to have a blood sugar spike and a blood sugar crash where you feel like you need to rush to the coffee shop and have milkshake and cake, um, otherwise known as a you know frappuccino and a muffin. And then just keep everything on an even keel. You'll have so much more of a productive day than you would if you were peaking and crashing and having these sugar spikes and so on. And it might even give you enough energy at the end of the day to go out and exercise and uh, become a better athlete as well, which is a goal that a ton of people that I talk with just on a daily basis, you know, they have a job, but they also like to exercise. They want to do both and have enough energy for both. And I think that your recommendations make sense. Exactly. And that's, that's a really important thing to say. People will say, they'll comment to me like, oh, well, you don't have kids, so you can do X. Or you don't have this, or you work at home, so you can do that. And yes, I, I definitely realize that I'm, I may be an anomaly in those scenarios, but I've worked with enough people who are ridiculously busy, far more so than I, that are able to do this diet and do it properly and be very healthy. And I mean, I've got um, one client who's a single mom in South Carolina with three kids. And just working her tail off to make it work, but she's, she's doing it. And so when I see something like that, and then I have another, you know, client who says, Oh, I don't have time yet. She doesn't work and she has two nannies, one for each of her kids. You know, it's kind of like, well, you're choosing to not make it work. <laughs> yeah. I, I hear that a ton from people saying, Oh, you know, how can you possibly do this when you travel? And, and I just did a, a trip. I got back yesterday. Uh, where I flew to Singapore and back in three days, and I had 12 hours of meetings and uh, three presentations on stage. I ate a healthy diet the entire time because, frankly, there's no way you can fly for 40 hours in, in three days and not get really sick if you're not eating a paleo diet, or in my case, the Bulletproof diet, which is the lower toxin flavor. But it, it's actually such a performance enhancer that I think you'd be crazy not to because it gives you more energy and time to take care of your kids or to walk your dog or do whatever you want to do, you know, go run a triathlon, <laughs> whatever's on your list of fun stuff. Exactly. I could not agree with you more. What you put in the body and your own health has to be at the foundation of what you're doing across the board. It doesn't matter if you're an athlete or a mom or a dad or an executive or whatever you are. It, your health has to come first because that makes you, this sounds really corny, but it makes you the best you that you can be. And so then you can be better for everybody else that's in your life and your family and your work. It's just, it, you know, it's a choice. It always comes down to choice. It does. I, I hope people feel sort of empowered by hearing that. You know, we're, we're, uh, 
you're certainly a, a powerful person and an athlete and someone who's really studied exercise science and all this. It's coming from you as an entrepreneur and someone who's been a biohacker for a long time. Like the facts are out there. And this is the way it is. If you do this one thing right, you get more time and energy for everything else throughout your day. And it's just so important that people pick that up because they'll feel better. Right. Totally. Now, since we're talking about how a paleo diet is important for performance, how has the paleo diet improved your performance in Ironman triathlons or even in your work? I know you're a busy person. You're working on all these new books and these projects. Has the paleo diet enabled you to do more of what you enjoy? How has it done that? And also, how did your race at Kona go this year? Did you notice any differences from the last, from before when you were doing Ironmans when you weren't eating paleo? Oh my gosh. I, I can't even tell you how huge the improvement is. I started racing Ironman in 2001 and I, st- I started, let's see, the transition to paleo started in around 2005. So back then, um, I was, I would call myself a really average middle-of-the-pack age group athlete. My first Ironman was, I want to say, over 15 hours. And my goal was to complete it, so I was happy I completed it. Um, and I should back up and say that for the first five or six or even seven years when I was racing triathlon, I was sick every single race with stomach issues. And I just, I was at the point where I thought this just happens. I mean, I saw so many friends and other athletes who would have stomach issues during race that I thought that's just what, that's just normal, that you just have a stomach ache in a race, period. And I would see people who didn't get ill and I was kind of, it was just a mystery. How, how on earth could they do that and not have the stomach ache and not have to make an emergency stop in the porta potty? So since becoming paleo and no longer starting the race with, you know, a belly full of pasta and a bagel, which not surprisingly sets the stage for a huge gastric upset. A, just to have a race go by and not have stomach issues was a huge gift. And that following the paleo diet, I also noticed as a nice little side effect that I went from, again, I wasn't overweight. I was about 135-ish pounds at 5'6 and about 16% body fat, which I always stayed at, which was fine. But I always kind of wanted to be a bit more lean. And I couldn't figure out how to do it without restricting calories and starving and all the other diets that I had tried like the zone and had also tried, as I said, being vegan. Nothing really made me feel better. I kind of always felt the same. But when I started paleo, everything, it was like, I mean, it's not like I'm selling a pill or anything, but it's almost as though, as, as if by magic, just all these things just kind of converged into this beautiful harmony of everything being in sync and everything working and sleeping better and training better and losing weight, not not that I was, that wasn't the main thing, but over the course of about a year and a half, I went from where I was to where I've been at now for about four years, which is 7% body fat and about 115. And I don't, I eat all day long. I'm not starving myself. And I'm obviously, I'm not starving myself or I wouldn't be able to perform the way that I, that I do. So I think that in conjunction with having an amazingly supportive husband, a fantastic coach, sleeping properly and doing regular body work has um, set the stage for just a, a year upon year of better and better performances. And I had a great race this year at Kona. Thank you for asking. I um, PR from last year by 22 minutes and missed the podium by 57 seconds, but I was really happy with my time of 1017 and, you know, promoting paleo all the way. I even had my new brand name, which is paleoista. I, I think it's, it's truly awesome. Uh, one of the things that, that we have on the website is starting to be superhuman and there are specific steps you can take 
around making yourself just more resilient and more powerful. And, and like you said, this isn't the only pill you talk about sleep. You talk about only about other things, but it's one of the top, probably top three things that I recommend people do just to be better at whatever it is they do. Uh, it's just eating the right foods are, it's so fundamental to just being a human rather than being an athlete or being, you know, a mom or a dad. It, it, it really just comes down to doing everything you do better. Exactly. Well, uh, we're coming down to the end of the interview. So tell us about your new book, Paleo Easter. When does it come out? What other books or nutrition plans do you offer? And sort of give yourself a good plug here. Tell our readers how to find you. Of course, we'll have notes on the on the, the blog as well. My new URL is paleoista.com, P-A-L-E-O-I-S-T-A. Um, it's The site is still under construction, so it's going to redirect you to the current site, which is nellstevenson.com. And there you can find about me, a link to my blog, my online training program, that I sell. Um, I do custom nutritional counseling, um, but I also sell a series of pre-written download plans, which are more budget-friendly. So it's basically click here. Here's your six weeks of how to eat for um, endurance training or whatever the case may be. The new book, Paleoista, is it focuses on it is targeted um, more towards the female audience because right now the current books out there tend to be, well, there are the ones that I'm aware of are all written by men. Um, and so I wanted to address the female market and kind of just bring paleo into a modern day, easy to follow guide of just tell me what to eat, what not to eat. And it's written from an entertaining perspective because I wanted it to be something that people actually enjoy reading versus this is a tomb of knowledge and it's very valuable, but I'm bored and I don't understand the scientific vernacular. So it's, it's just a fun book to read. And my hope is that not only women read it, but men too, whether it's, you know, a guy picking up his mom's or his girlfriend's or his daughter's copy. Um, it just should be a fun read. I'm excited to read it. Uh, as soon as it comes out, um, let us uh, let us know. And and thank you for writing more for the, the female audience. Uh, my wife and I have a, a book for women who either are pregnant or want to get pregnant that's coming out next year as well. And it's the same idea that, you know, paleo isn't just for big muscular guys. It's for humans. Exactly. It's just for mammals. I mean, that's the, the, the idea that I mentioned before about for the dogs. Um, it's just pr- pretty much if you're living on the walking around and you're a mammal, you should probably be eating paleo. That'll, that'll sum it up. <laughs> uh, it's very well said. And my, uh, my two dachshunds are paleo as well. And I can afford to feed them grass fed chuck because they only weigh eight pounds a piece. Perfect. <laughs> uh, on that note, Nell, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with our listeners. It's very, very much appreciated, and I appreciate all the work you're doing. Thank you so much. It was lovely to speak with both of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services.
Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.